Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. Okay, friends, this is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host today, Brian Lawson, and I am so glad that you're here with us. Uh, And you know, guys, here at Solutions of the Huddle, we try to bring you the very best entrepreneurs, business leaders, uh, celebrities, professional athletes onto this program. And, you know, those those are individuals who have been through the the good, um, the bad, and even sometimes the ugly. Right. So, um, but these are individuals who they don't give up. They've tested success. Uh, they've tasted it and have, they, they have something that you need to hear. And, and guys, listen, today is no exception. Not at all. You know, but before we get started, I'd like to thank some of our sponsors, just a couple of them, because, you know, without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do this. So I want to go ahead and thank uh, Speedy Oil Change and, and Grease Monkey Automotive and you know, guys, most of us have cars that we drive, and these guys are incredible. They keep your, they keep your oil changed. They do the inspections to, to make sure you, your, your car is safe and to be on the road. So check them out. If you go to our website at team-csg.com, you'll see a list, and then go to podcast. You'll see a list of all of our sponsors, and you know you what? You can click on them and see what they do and uh, get their information, how to get in contact with them. So before we get started also today, guys, we always start with a prayer and I just asked you to join us with that, okay? Lord, we ask that you bless all parts of this show, our guests, our sponsors, and everyone involved. Uh, Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Amen. So friends, I said, I said that today was no exception, and it's not. Um, we have an incredible lady with us today, uh, and she has some extraordinary stories. She has traveled extensively to study indigenous healing methods and plant-based medicine. Uh, she's led expeditions to the Amazon, Andes, Ecuador, Madagascar, Papua New Guinea, and the Republic of Congo. She is the founder of a nonprofit group called Healing Seekers uh, that creates or created unique educational materials for school systems, uh, educators, and and the general public. And these materials are additionally with two of the world's largest online streaming venues involving over 100,000 schools in the U.S. alone. And guys, in, in March of 2018, Healing Seekers released its award-winning 77-minute documentary about the team's two-month trek uh, into undocumented regions in the Republic of Congo. And this is entitled Expedition Congo. And believe me, you you can see this. I've seen it. It's incredible. Uh, And uh, we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. So, before we go any further, I want to introduce to you our awe-inspiring guest, Amy Greason. Amy, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's such a treat to be with you, Brian. 
Yeah. So you have had led an adventurous life, I would say. It that's that's uh that's one way to put it. My parents have other words, but <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, talking about parents and and maybe uh, your start. Tell us a little bit about yourself, right? For those people that don't don't know, um, I know a little bit more about you. But tell tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'm a pharmacist by trade. Uh, and uh, worked retail pharmacy most of my life. Um, and during that course, uh, really, I saw a lot of people I've known my whole life that uh, were battling some pretty severe things. And uh, although we helped them with pharmaceuticals and alternative medicine, we still didn't have a lot of the cures. And um, I got tired of feeling helpless. And I know that sounds a little weird, but uh, I knew that the cures were out there. Uh, I knew that a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we were dispensing had their origins in nature. And yet we stopped looking there. And so for really for no other reason than to think that I had to do something. Uh, I mean, these were people that you know, my teachers and they were police officers and, and women who worked in the diners that I'd known my whole life. Um, so for no other reason, I, I thought that I would try and find these cures myself. And so really um, quite naively and, and um, not knowing what I was doing, we started in 2006 and going to some of these really more remote isolated areas because I wanted to go to those areas where researchers and scientists had not been and to try and bring those new novel compounds, those new novel plants and therapies into the world. And so um, it just sort of set me on a course that has, well, did become my, my life work. So um, yeah, yeah, had some wonderful journeys along the way. Yeah, that is incredible. You know, I, I heard something when you said that um, you were you you had. I, I think of it as empathy, right? When you see these people that that were uh, maybe taking medicines or, or some things, they just didn't know what to do, and you were you didn't know what to do, but you said that you wanted to f help find cures yourself. So that's that's a pretty big task, isn't it? It is, and, and I actually incorrectly spoke there in a lot of ways because really what I should have said was that um, I, to, to really go out and, and, and dis, to discover those treatments that really have been used in indigenous tribes uh, for years, and, and I'm more like the middleman in a lot of ways. It's teamwork with... Um, these treatments that have been used, I mean, Brian, for generations, hundreds and thousands of years. And uh, so, but no one has gone and, and worked with them uh, and, and, and to bring these into the world. And the, the beautiful thing is, is that uh, over all of these years, I, I, I would estimate at least a good 90% of the healers and the tribes that we've spoken with have never talked to an outsider about their medicine. And they are so excited that 
someone wants to hear what they have to say, uh, and so excited that something that they have may be of benefit to people beyond their villages and tribes and people that they will never meet and never know. Uh, and it's a beautiful, altruistic attitude, uh, compassion. And I think it's just the core of what humanity is really all about um, in many ways. And so it's a blessing every time you go into these areas to, to be able to meet these, these souls that are walking the earth with you. Yeah. So what, what got you thinking this though, that, that you needed to go on an expedition into this, right? Because most people will see, you know, I've seen the movie, the medicine man, right. And a lot of people have, right. And, and so we, uh, you know, that's my, uh, that's what I think of when, when the stories you're saying, you're telling me right now. So what, what was it that, what triggered you to think, I'm going to do that. Give me some background to that. So um, I did a lot of integrative alternative medicine back in the 90s. And I began to learn more and more where, honestly, where our prescriptions came from. So, uh, for example, Brian, one of the uh, largest groups of blood pressure medicines are called ACE inhibitors. And they go by names like lisinopril, prenovil, captopril, things like that. Uh, millions of people take these drugs. But uh, you will never see on a commercial or in an ad where this drug came from. And the origins is a venomous pit viper down in South America called Bothrops gerarica. And researchers noticed that when this the snake struck its prey, it caused a life-threatening plunge in blood pressure. So they took that venom and they diluted it and whatever, came back out and the first drug of that class, you know, became uh, in, in, in to reality. And there's so many of our pharmaceuticals that have stories like that, that if it wasn't for nature, if it wasn't for an indigenous person, uh, would not be sitting on the bottle in, in the pharmacies that, that uh, we are so accustomed to in Western medicine. Uh, and so the interesting thing is, is that if you think of all the species of plants of life on planet Earth, from all the trees, the flowers, the birds, the fish, every life form that you can think of on planet Earth, we've studied less than 5% for its value towards medicine. But from that less than 5%, we have over 50% of our pharmaceuticals. So in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, if we could just get in and we could tap a minor percentage point of, of all of those species, and you know, the probability that we're gonna find some new treatments are gonna be high. I mean, we just really theoretically have you know, 95% of the world left to explore. And then you take on that, the world's constantly changing. You know, just like humans during this pandemic, uh, you, you, know, you, you, um, you mutate, you get stronger. Uh, and, and so species are constantly getting stronger and they're diversifying and they're mutating. Uh, we'll never be able to tap or understand all the life that's on planet Earth. Uh, but what we did was 
we started going more towards um, synthetic uh, laboratory medicine, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what we did in, in my mind is we, we stopped exploring and we failed in um, going after and seeing what else is out there. And so that was the purpose of the company that, that I created, uh, co-created back in 2008 called Natural Discoveries that works with a lot of the plant research. Uh, and it really was the impetus behind the nonprofit because what we wanted to do was when we go into these remote areas, we took a film crew, a film crew always accompanied us. And uh, we wanted to immerse kids and students into these worlds uh, that were slowly disappearing. Yeah. What, what do you think um, drove you though to be, have you always been adventurous? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I have. I think there's a part that your heart overrides common sense sometimes. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the situations that we've been in in a lot of these countries uh, got more and more dangerous over the latter years. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's being adventurous. It's knowing that there's something beyond those boundaries that's yet to be explored. And that's, that's a driving force. Uh, it's a driving force knowing that there are treatments and cures uh, and people who know that, but people who don't have a voice. And so we feel like we're, we're also a voice uh, if those villages care to share their secrets with the world. Um, but yeah, I guess there's, there's always that adventure spirit in everyone, whether it's in science or art or music or uh, you know, really the whole gamut of things. And I think that that when you, you start to, to go on an adventure, if you will, it ignites a part of your soul uh, that you're never the same once you say yes to it. And, you know, if you say no, you never know what, what you know, the light that it brings to your world. I guess that's sort of um, diminished in a lot of ways. So I guess in a lot of ways, I've always said yes. Yeah, and I think it, it takes it takes um, something deep within a lot of times, as you just said, to say yes, right? Because there, there are a lot of people probably that will even listen to this podcast and, and they'll go, um, there's, there's things that they've wanted to do in life, right? There's, there's certain things, maybe it's not to go to the Amazon or the Congo, uh, maybe some have, right? Maybe some have thought, oh my gosh, that would be incredible. But regardless, there's there's things in people's life that they've always wanted to do, but fear kind of holds them back. So what would you say to that person? Wow. You know, I um, that's always a tough one. Uh, yeah. And I think that the the dreams that you have the easiest thing is to let fear override it. Um, I'll give you an example. I created that nonprofit in 2006. It was, 
I believe, I take that back, the Congo, which was, we did that in 2016, was the very first expedition in the history of that organization that was funded uh, fully. So what I did was I worked, uh, the money that I made, I did a second job consulting. Everything I did went into funding these treks. I paid for them myself. Uh, now that's a scary thing because, you know, talk about your loss of financial security. Uh, depleted my 401k. Um, that's when it got really scary. Uh, but there was something inside that, you know, I just had to do it. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, that part was, was really, really scary. And then, you know, you're stepping into a realm that you, you have these visions that it's just going to be like this and like this and like this, and you start, you step forward and it's nothing but one obstacle often after another, uh, that the, the dream is never this beautiful, clean picture. Uh, but the beauty is you know, you, you, you're so involved in it that you just keep taking those steps forward and forward. And I'll give you an example. So the, the first trek that we did, that we collected specimens was 2010. Uh, it was Madagascar. And we went, uh, spent, oh, I think it was six, seven weeks in Madagascar uh, going along collecting plants, all different regions all over the country. Uh, we get those specimens. We have the right permits to get them into the country, right permits to get them out of the country. Uh, they enter U.S. Customs and I get a call from U.S. Customs and they say, Amy, uh, about three fourths of these still have some moisture. And because of that, they could have mold or bacteria or viruses, right? So they can't allow them in the country. So Brian, they had to destroy all of those specimens. So we had to pay, my business partner went back, used the GPS coordinates and retracked the entire expedition and recollected all those specimens. You, you don't know everything when you're starting to do things for the first time. And there's some costly mistakes in many, many ways. Uh, but but uh, we never made that mistake again. So we knew what not to do uh, at that point. But I, I think that that's always a tough thing that even early on, there were fundraisers for the nonprofit. I approached investors and capital, venture capital funds. No one would believe because the idea seems so far-fetched. And you talk about being discouraged and feeling like, this is never going to happen. And I often say, you know, I have been on my knees a hundred times more than I've ever been on a mountaintop. Uh, but it's the times that you're on your knees that you remember most. And it's those times that you realize, okay, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated, but only for a period of time. And then it's time to put your big girl panties on and you get up and you move on. And if you don't, uh, you, you don't know what's going to come out of that. And I'm sure you have similar experiences uh, in your life that, that probably much better examples than the ones that I've given. 
Yeah, you know, I, I hear I hear you say that um, the th- the force that drives us further and keeps us going is the fear in life gets overridden really by the pain of saying no, right? The pain of saying no become, has, becomes greater than that fear within us. And, and that's going to, that's what moves you and motivates you to, to keep going on. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think there's that, um, that deep urging. And, and again, I, whatever that is for, for, for people. And I think that, um, you know, I was, I was in my thirties before I realized what I really wanted to do in my life. In a lot of ways, I was happy being a pharmacist, but when I started, you know, venturing out and exploring the world, uh, you know, there was a part of my heart that just was on fire and it was ignited and I felt alive. And uh, I, I would imagine that's the way artists and musicians and, uh, you know, well, the whole gamut of people uh, feel when, when they're experiencing that. But once you've felt that, um, you realize that that's your little place in life at that moment in time. And whether it ends up being that for the next 10 years or 20 some years as it has been mine, or it morphs into something else. Uh, I think that um, you grow and you become and you make those decisions on a daily and weekly and monthly basis as to you know where that joy is going to be in your life. And, you know, course it's nice to make money but it's not about money it's it's much deeper than that um and i think that that joy comes from that satisfaction of of finding who you are and living your life and feeling the fear and and moving through it anyway yeah you know when when i was emailing you i said um i wrote something i said that passion is contagious and to do what you have done can only come from passion and a deep sense of commitment greater than yourself. Oh, that's beautiful. That's um, beautiful. And, and that sounds like exactly what you have done. Um, because to me, I, I can't really imagine um, that some people could, could even think about doing what you do, especially, you know, and, and I'm not, being sexist, but for a woman to think of going to the, the Congo, right. <laughs> um, that, that just says tremendous about you. I mean, it's, it's uh, really incredible. So uh, if you could go back to that expedition and, and give me a story, one of those stories that sticks out, right. Uh, because again, those kind of stories really bring a lot of uh, like all to people. And uh, so go back to that, that expedition and give me a story of going into a tribe or some kind of hardship that you guys went through. Great. Yeah, happy to. And I'll tell you, one of the nice things about uh, being a woman is that uh, your porters and trackers make sure that you're not carrying excessive weight. Now, the guys, they're like, oh, you, you carry your own stuff. But uh, and also... I was blessed early to have uh, gray hair. And believe it or not, when you go in a tribe and if you have, yeah, or no hair, right? Uh, I love your hair. Um, But, you know, when you go into a tribe, 
and they see a member that has gray hair, you're automatically the elder. Uh, and so here I am and my team are uh, young, healthy, good looking men who are, you know, in their twenties and thirties. Uh, and then, uh, so, so th there's a bonus too for um, um, having the gray hair and uh, in, in this, but I tell you, I think one of uh, the, the, most outrageous expeditions was the Congo. And um, we've had some great stories in other countries, but the Congo was so different because everything went absolutely perfect, smooth with the fundraising, everything, until the day that we stepped in the country. And every single day we were there, there was something, there was a struggle. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't just like, oh, something minor. It was big. Uh, we were arrested twice uh, and put in jail twice. We were arrested five times, actually, uh, put, put in jail twice. Every time that we were outside of the jungle, it seemed, well, it didn't seem, we were, we were in trouble with something. When we were inside the jungle, it was um, the most difficult jungle I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, and I've been in jungles, oh my gosh, 14, 18 times, uh, but nothing compared to the Amazon, uh, other regions of the world. When we got in there in the jungle uh, multiple times every single day were swarms of bees. And uh, if you stopped even for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, there were, you know, 200 bees around you crawling all over you inside your eye, you know, your eyeglasses, uh, whatever, uh, the ants, the thorns. I mean, it was just outrageous. Uh, we ran out of water. We were lost multiple times, even though we had the best trackers uh, that, that were known. But the canopy is so thick. There's you have no satellite reception for your phones. Your GPS was very sporadic. Um, and so, and there's no natural light that comes in. So a tracker can't look up and say, okay, the sun's here. This is north, south, east, west, whatever. Uh, you know, and this area was undocumented. So there are no trails. Um, but I think if I had to narrow it down to uh, probably the most terrifying points ever in my life uh, were two of the times that we were arrested. Uh, and, and the first time we were arrested because we were flying drones. Uh, we had permits, the right permits, everything was, was clear. Uh, but uh, these guys felt like we were spying on government buildings and it was espionage. And so they hauled us off in the back of a truck uh, with a armed guard in the back, semi-automatic rifles and or whatever kind of guns they were, and took us into uh, this building and yelled at us and screamed at us for hours and hours and hours. And uh, finally, uh, we were able to talk our way out by uh, a bribe, if you will. Um, that incident actually went 
to the president of the country uh, and he came to our aid. It was, it was the most amazing thing, Brian. I mean, we were in this isolated village uh, along a river and when the president heard of our, our uh, situation, the next day there were two Black Hawk helicopters landing in a village where they'd never seen helicopters before. And so uh, I think that it was, um, uh, you know, a misunderstanding in a lot of ways. So we had great relationships with the village, the healers, all of that, and, uh, and that was resolved. And then later in the expedition, uh, we were traveling at night along the Sangha River, which is uh, between the Republic of the Congo and Cameroon. And um, we were coming back late at night and we were arrested because um, at night, late at night, there's trafficking of diamonds, uh, illegal black market trafficking. And um, they thought that we were trafficking, uh, which is also understandable. But um, uh, that arrest got a little violent with one of the members of our, our, our team being hit over the head pretty hard with a gun by one of the guards. And uh, again, hours and hours of screaming and yelling and uh, beautiful things always end up though. Um, you know, that was healed and we, we were out. And, but um, when you are experiencing something like that and you realize that you could disappear off the face of the earth, uh, your friends, your family, you never see them again. They never see you. Uh, and then on top of that, for me, the responsibility of a team, uh, the guys that I love dearly uh, are in the same situation and you have a responsibility for that. Uh, and it, it, it gets to be uh, something that when you get out of those situations and you get back home and you start reflecting, uh, you start to balance, you know, what's worth it? What is worth the risk? Uh, you know, everybody knew the risk involved, but not to that level. And so there's also a responsibility that you have. Uh, but you know, for me personally, to, to be able to bring a cure for MS or, um, you know, Ebola or whatever else is in the world, that you can be a part of that and bring those plants to be researched by these renowned scientists all over the world. Uh, and on top of that, to, you know, bring, you know, credibility to these indigenous tribes, the people who really brought these cures into the world to begin with, and to be able to, to be their liaison and to, to be respected enough to be able to do that uh, is, 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 is one of the greatest gifts uh, that has been in my life. And, um, but yeah, it, it took, we got through that, that expedition. And usually when we get back, we hand over our backup drives and I receive within maybe 10 days, DVDs of all the footage and I will isolate myself and I'll look at all that footage. But for that trek, it took seven and a half months before I would look at the footage. I, could not relive any part of that track. And so it took seven and a half months before we could even begin to think about doing a documentary or educational materials or looking at the plants. Uh, I just 
could not, and I, I worried that I would be able to get to a point where I could do that. Um, but sometimes it just takes a little bit more time to get through things than it does other other times. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, for you, the, you just said that the scariest time really was when you got arrested by the officials there. Right. What was what was it like to meet some of the the indigenous people that that don't have? Um, I don't know if they have any um, connection with the outside world, uh, but you got to meet some of these. What was that like? Was that fearful in any way? Usually when you, you go into the more remote areas, so the actual villages and tribes that um, where we were arrested, they were uh, the larger areas they did have interactions with the city and the outside world, uh, those kind of things. Um, I say that, but okay, so a little bit more so than these other areas that we usually, well, we always end up in. But I like to think um, of, of these smaller villages, like my grandparents. Now, my grandparents were farmers, uh, Alamance County in, in North Carolina. And if someone came by and they were hungry or they were thirsty, eh, parents, grandparents would say, come on in, let me fix you some food and give you something to drink, whatever. That's the way it is. It's, it's that beauty of the human spirit that um, uh, we have always been welcomed. Uh, I think there were two times that it took uh, an area a little bit of time to warm up to us. But for the most part, we've always been embraced uh, in a lot of ways. Now, the kids are different. The kids who have not seen a white person uh, will often start screaming and crying uh, when they see us because they believe we are spirits and we're from the spirit world um, because they've never seen the white skin before. And uh, some of the adults, but you know, the transportation now, even on the rivers, um, that you know, chances are that most people in a village have seen a white face uh, at this point in time in the world. And, uh, and so as long as there's not a, a bad incident that has happened, um, you know, we certainly don't wanna think about Mark, Michael Rockefeller when he went to New Guinea and you know, three weeks or so prior to his visit, the Dutch patrol who were also white people came in and, and killed several members. So when Michael came through and you're talking about a good soul who was just there to, you know, look at art, uh, they immediately labeled him as um, uh, someone that they needed to retaliate against to vindicate the deaths of uh, what was done before them. But Anyway, as long as something like that hasn't happened in an area that you're going into, we're, we're pretty blessed. Yeah. So I'm going to, Amy, I want to take a little bit of break and, and uh, come back to you in just a minute. Now, we're going to thank, I want to thank a couple more of our sponsors, again, that help make this show possible. Uh, I'd like to thank MS Digital Solutions. And guys, you know what? If you've got any digital needs uh, with all these technology things that were going on today with Zoom and all these other uh, programs that need to be integrated, uh, they can help you. 
MS Digital Solutions. And, and guys, also, um, I'd like to reach out or thank Easy Living Technologies. Uh, they're a wonderful audio video firm right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, they do incredible work in people's homes, waiting rooms, office boardrooms. And if you have any audio visual needs, they are, if there's not a job or a challenge that they won't take care of. So, Amy, I, I think that your stories are very intriguing and, and they give um, people, it gets people outside of their own little world, right? Yeah. Because most, most people never get to experience anything like you have. And I'm wondering for you, what is the, what's been your takeaway and how has being uh, this adventurous and, and not willing to just stay in your own little world, right? What is it, what has it done to you? Uh, how has it changed your life? I mean, we've, we've already talked about the heart and different things, but what is it that you would say has, has been the biggest change in your life from, from just doing what you've done? That is a great question. Um, boy, I, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, I feel so grateful to have met the people that I've met. Uh, they've, every single one of them has, has changed uh, part of me. Um, you know, some of my best friends uh, I feel are in other countries. Uh, we still communicate. Uh, probably two or three times a month. Uh, I think that, that that is a beauty. Also has brought a lot more gratitude in my life. Uh, there's not a morning that I wake up and I wash my face uh, and my hands and brush my teeth with clean water that I am not grateful. Uh, and um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's uh, a lot of gratitude and for the impact of, of others. But, but I have to tell you that uh, my whole life, and I don't know if everybody feels this way or if you know, I, this, is, this is an issue that I need to work on a lot more, but it's just something that I've felt for 20 some years. And even as I sit here now, um, I, I, I battle these feelings of failure. Uh, I've been entrusted with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of specimens that you know, still have not been able to uh, be studied for certain things. Um, there is footage that uh, is just remarkable footage that is not available for people to see. Um, there's so many other places and there are other, you know, the, I relive times and, and oh, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that or if I could do this or I could do a little bit more here. And um, so I have to catch myself a lot of times because you can get depressed if you go down that road too much. And I try and flip it and say, okay, well, we have done this much and we have done that much, uh, but there's still... Um, healers that have passed that, you know, are very near and dear to me. 
and I feel that uh, uh, their knowledge was not passed on uh, because other people in the tribe did not learn what they had to teach. And I feel that the footage that we have of them, the information that they gave uh, is, is very likely in many cases, um, the only uh, remaining part to some of those treatments and cures. Uh, so I feel like I still have a huge responsibility to them. And, um, and so I, I don't know that I will ever feel that that is complete. I think that there will always be those struggles of trying to make it better and do more and do more and do more. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you're, you're talking about legacy really, right? We, we all have something within us that drives us and there's something that we want to leave. We want to leave, right? We want to leave that legacy. We want to fulfill something with, with that, that is outside of us to leave something behind. And, you know, I, I hear you that, um, it feels like for you, or it sounds like that you feel like your, your job will never be done. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, and, and I think that that's the, the beauty too, is that, you know, I'm in my fifties now, uh, is, is, uh, the, the, the joy of being able to mentor, uh, and, and see younger people who will, you know, do way beyond what I've ever imagined and to accomplish way more than, uh, than I will ever see in my lifetime. And, um, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's a beauty too. Do you have, um, do you have other people that you are mentoring now that maybe are going to carry on some of the work that you were doing? Yeah, I have talked with a lot of young students, uh, not anyone in particular that, you know, uh, no, not, not anyone in particular, but I do love spending time with a lot of uh, uh, students. Uh, and especially I spend a lot of time with some of the graduate students, um, university and stuff. But yeah. how's, how's the best way for someone hearing this, if, if they were to say, wow, I would love to be a part of something that something like that. I'd love to be a part of, of going on some kind of expedition like Amy has been talking about. Um, how, how would they go about doing something like that? Yeah, I think that the big thing is, is lots of planning. Uh, you know, I can certainly offer advice. And uh, of course, you never know. Uh, we're going to need somebody else to go with us on another trip or something, which I hope is, is, uh, is, is in uh, somewhere down in the future. But, um, you know, with COVID, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not so much the fear that we have as a team traveling, it's the fear that we're going to infect, you know, the indigenous groups, and that would be devastating. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I think, you know, that's a great question, Brian. You know, so much of this was uh, trial and error. Uh, so I feel like there's a lot of experience that if I can offer some insight, uh, but you know, 
I by no means am, am a person that has all the answers. That's for sure. Is there is there a, a good way for people to get to you in some way? Do you have any any social media stuff going on? Do you have a Facebook page? Do you have any any way for people to kind of learn more about you and what the things you have done? Um, Facebook is always great. Uh, okay. and so I, I'm totally on Facebook and. Uh, and actually, that's a, a great way to uh, correspond. Uh, I do that a lot, even with my my good friends. When we don't get on the phone and chat, we will often send messages that way. Uh, right. But yes, I'm always available there. Okay. And also tell people about the documentary that you went on with the Congo. And it's on what? who carries that right now. Does Amazon? Well, we had it on Amazon. And we pulled that uh, when when the nonprofit, we uh, we actually dissolved the nonprofit last year. Uh, it was a great decision for us. Uh, and um, what we did at that point was we wanted to make it available to everybody for free. Uh, so we took it off of Amazon Prime. And that is, uh, gosh, Brian, I need to check with our post-production team. I believe that is now available on YouTube. Okay. And we also have a Facebook page on, um, gosh, I'm not sure if that's on the Facebook page on, on uh, Expedition Congo. It's just called Expedition Congo. Okay. I need to yeah. check on that, but I do believe it's on YouTube and it, it, it is for free and it's a little over an hour. And, and, and you think they would probably find it as Expedition Congo? Yes. Right. Yes. Amy Greeson, and that's G-R-E-E-S-O-N. Correct. Okay. So uh, I'm sure people could find it there. And guys, if you uh, are listening to this, let me just tell you, I, I've watched it and it is intriguing. So uh, don't, don't miss it. it. It would be worth your watch for sure. Thank you. Um, before we, before we close, I was just wondering if, uh, if there are any, Anything, any books that you have read recently or things that you have would recommend to people, right? Those, those books that maybe have uh, been something personally uh, that's grown you um, or your business in any way. Uh, is there something that comes to mind? Gosh, you know, it's... Um... I have, uh, oh my gosh, I wish I had a stack of those books here. There, there's one I'm reading now. And uh, Brian, if I could dart out real quick to my bedroom, I would have that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally blanking on, uh, I, I, I read a lot of the, I'm in the Explorers Club. Uh, and a lot of those members have written books. Uh, and so the one that I'm reading now, it's his solo journey across Antarctica. And it is fabulous. You know, you're, you're, you're reading how, you know, he's in blinding white snow for three days and, you know, you can't see where the skis are going in front of you and all that, but I will get that, that name to you. And I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely embarrassed that I cannot think of it. That's um, okay. Uh, but anyway, I love those adventure type books. Uh, and, and I think a lot because the perseverance and uh, the things that uh, they do. Um, Kathy Sullivan, who 
recently had a book that come out, Handprints on Hubble. And uh, she was the first woman to walk in space. And then recently is the first to go uh, to the deepest point of the Mariana Trench. So she holds a Guinness Book of World Records for the most vertical, uh, furthest in space and, and lowest. Uh, and that was intriguing because you got to see them, the workings of an astronaut and, and the way that they think. And, uh, and so anyway, yeah, there's a lot of um, those enticing exploring books that I love to read. And, and you have a book yourself, don't you? Yes, I do. I do. That was uh, my favorite stories. Uh, it's just um, a whole bunch of my favorite stories over all the years of the treks. And uh, of course, there's always those little enlightening things that you get after you experience those. And when I and read where, the book. And where can people find that book at? Um, that's available on Amazon and okay. most Barnes and Noble, all, all of that. I think it's okay. Much. And the title of the book is? Uh, and the Silent Spoke. And the Silent Spoke by Amy Greason. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. So, Amy, I just want to thank you so much for uh, being with us today. I, I think this has been one of those times where you, you hear, we've been able to hear stories that we only see on the movie screen a lot of times, right? As I said, the medicine man, you know, that's kind of what I think about when I think about you. Um, so Sean Connery now has your face on it. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that movie. And there's a lot of truth in that movie. Yeah. What's happening. But. Yeah. So I just want to thank you. And uh, it's been great having you on the show today. And um you know, I'd like to maybe catch back up again. If you do another expedition or something, we'll we'll get back together, okay? Thank you so much. And it's been a joy. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, Brian. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.